Chapter 53, The New Director After an evil glare from the library aid, Nix lowered her voice. Okay, can you look up that Homeland Security number now? Hold on. You want to know why I'm extremely clever? In Greek mythology, Argus Panoptes was a giant with a hundred eyes. He was the perfect watchman, because only a few eyes would sleep at once, always leaving some awake. I figured, if you're going to be revealing secret information, you should have a name that makes you seem like an omniscient watchdog. The hair on Nix's arms stood at attention. A hundred eyes sounded eerily like her experience as a ghost. Jordan grinned like a four-year-old. It was cute how excited he was about this. Thanks for doing that, Nick said. How late were you up? Let's just say if my dad knew, he'd take the computer out of my room. The morning growl sounded and both Nix and Jordan groaned. I was hoping to get the email sent off this morning, Jordan said. Get that Homeland Security number right now. Jordan brought up the website, but after a solid minute of searching, they didn't have a phone number. There's not even a contact us link. Nix logged off the computer. Maybe we can get it from your dad? Don't forget about the email, Jordan said. I'll write it during class and we can send it at lunch, right after we use Tiago's phone to call your dad. Make sure you don't get caught, Jordan said. That's one note you don't want read out loud. The library aide was clearly relieved to see them go and promptly readjusted the mouse and keyboard in their original positions. Obsessive-compulsive people should not be librarians, Jordan said as soon as they were in the hall. At least the books are always in order, Nick said. I wonder if my mom could get a job there. She'd love to spend her day yelling at students for making messes until she got caught stealing books. So what's the deal with your... He waved vaguely toward her person. It's not like I can tell you everything in two minutes. Let's just get through the first four periods and we'll find a quiet place at lunch. Tiago's going to want to hear this, too. Jordan paused in front of Ms. Winkle's door. You realize that 90% of the time we spend together is you explaining all the crazy crap you've gotten up to? When did your life become the interesting one? More like horrifying and criminal. That reminds me. I gave my dad those names. He says we should try to identify the last kid before the department moves on it. Nix gave him a questioning look as they headed to their seats. As soon as the police interrogate one, Jordan whispered, the others will dispose of evidence and plan their alibis. It's much better to surprise them all at once and separate them before they get their stories together. Nix nodded, as if she'd known that all along. But if Goatee Boy wasn't in any of the yearbooks, how could they find him? Maybe they could take a field trip over to Hanisant High or even Iroquois Community College. Nix could cross the river in ghost form and flit through campuses and houses in a ten-mile radius, although that would certainly take more than five minutes. What was a little mental retardation compared with catching Ms. Winkle's assailants? Nix laughed quietly to herself. What's so funny, ear clops? You find a cookie in your pocket? Nix ignored Danny and took her seat. She was glad Jordan hadn't heard. No sense in him getting another month of grounding for fighting. Obviously, Fawn had spread the new nickname around school. When Nix finally got the bandages off, the name would most likely become permanent. Nix tried not to think about a future of scaring children and drawing stares in public. Hair, she reminded herself. Hers was plenty bushy to hide the side of her head. Especially after Mrs. Cherry was nice enough to tease it for her. 
Danny belched and went back to join Loaf. Nix noticed each of Loaf's fingernails were painted a different color. What was his deal? Nix was glad she'd not turned him into an enemy by squealing about the graveyard incident. The boy was obviously unstable, and she'd just as soon have him forget she existed. Once again, Nix wondered if he might be the one stalking Sarah. Then she remembered the shoes didn't match. Too bad. It would have been great to get Loaf kicked out of school for good. You think 411 would give us the Homeland Security number? Nix asked. 411? What century are you from? I'll just call my dad. Now that that was taken care of, Nix put her head down on her desk and promptly fell asleep. Coming to school after nearly being eaten by her foster mother was a really bad idea. None of the teachers would let her nap. Four hours of class crawled by. The time was made even more excruciating by Tiago's conspicuous absence. Why did that kid always disappear when he was needed? Okay, so this was the first time he'd actually done that. But Nix had very little patience for beautiful boys avoiding her without some sort of insult beforehand. Finally, the lunch growl sounded. After Jordan and Nix slammed down a greasy grilled cheese from the cafeteria, they raced over to the library, where Glasses Guy welcomed them with a scowl. Once at the computer, Jordan whispered, Okay, show me what you got. Nix handed him the scrap of paper she'd used to scribble out a note. Jordan read the paragraph and nodded slowly. It's good, except we have to tweak it a little to make it sound like an adult wrote it. Nix took the note back and reread it. Dear animal control people, you don't know me, but I know something you don't. Those cats that had all the hair missing aren't really sick. Actually, somebody just used hair remover on them as a joke, so please don't kill them. Argus. Isn't that how adults talk? Nix asked. I mean, it's plain English. I'm sure some adults talk like that, but not the type we're trying to impersonate. We want to sound educated and well-informed. Nix crumpled the paper. Okay, since you're the one with the college-level vocabulary, maybe you can help me out. Jordan pulled a notebook out of his bag and set it in front of Nix. She gave him a suspicious look. It already contained his version of the cat letter. When did you do this? I was the only one writing in class. I worked on it last night, Jordan said with an uneasy smile. Nick stared at him. I know what you're thinking, Jordan said, but it was just in case. I wasn't planning to use it unless you needed help. Nick read the letter. Naturally, it was perfect. Not bad. Are you sure you want me to type it up? I might slip in a few preschool words and give us away. I'll edit it when you're finished. Nick slugged Jordan in the arm, causing him to spill a can of pencils onto the floor. An anguished groan sounded from the direction of the front desk. When the email had been typed, proofread, and sent, Jordan and Nix retreated to their spot behind the auditorium. Nix started to tell Jordan about what had happened with Mrs. Cherry, but immediately felt panicky and short of breath. Telling Mrs. Padilla earlier had been traumatic, and she didn't know if she could go there at the moment. Actually, Nick said, let's wait for Tiago. That'll give me time to get the facts in the right order. Also, she had no desire to cry in front of Jordan. But crying in front of Tiago might increase his rescuey feelings. Jordan nodded without complaint. He'd obviously picked up on Nick's discomfort. Nix distracted herself from images of crawling demon ladies by thinking out loud about who the facial-haired ringleader might be. Meanwhile, Jordan scoured the pages of Tiago's yearbooks. Maybe we should follow the other kids around until they lead us to go T-Boy, Nix said. Jordan grunted. Too bad you didn't get a look at him, Nix continued. 
you could have given a perfect description to your dad. Did you ever ask who the car was registered to? We don't need to. We already know the driver was that portal kid. Oh, yeah. Nix lowered her shoulders, only to snap back up again. Hold on! I think Dylan Porter lives in the trailer park. I saw him scratching up some poles a while back. So? If his family lives in the trailer park, there's no way they'd own a car like that. Maybe they spent their life savings on a nice car and ended up in the poorhouse, Jordan said. Yeah, right. So whose car is it then? Could be stolen, Nick said. Or it could belong to one of the other boy's parents. One of the boys that doesn't have a license, Jordan added. Otherwise, he would have driven. That reminds me. Why doesn't Sarah have a learner's permit or something? She's 16. Jordan held up a yearbook to shade his face. Tiago said she has a license, but her dad doesn't want her driving. Liability insurance or something. Nick sat back against the utility door. Being the guy to provide the sweet ride for one's little street gang would certainly up one's status in the group. Don't ever say sweet ride again, Jordan said with a smirk. But you're right. Whoever's car it is, they might even feel like they're in charge and can order everyone else around. It's got to be the goatee kid, Nick said. We need to call your dad. Where the flip is Tiago? He said he would be here. After some superior sleuthing, they learned Tiago was serving detention in McGuckin's office for littering. Nix was secretly glad she'd have to wait even longer to talk about her horrific morning. Homac without Tiago gave new meaning to the phrase, too many cooks in the kitchen. Nix didn't realize how much his presence held everyone together and kept them motivated. Padillas, their pod spent most of the period bickering and loafing around, in all senses of the word. It was a relief when the growl sounded. Nix didn't bother to try the charred, pancake-like cinnamon rolls. Jordan and Nix found Tiago sitting on the back row of the auditorium, waiting for play practice to start. Jordan sat. I need your phone. Tiago handed it over and waved at Nix. It was a candy wrapper, he said before they could ask. I missed the trash can. Before I could pick it up, McGuckin caught me with his ape arms and dragged me to his office. A idiota. Jordan dialed his dad's number. He probably gets lonely in his office. He needs students in there to brighten his day. Nick scoffed and sat. I heard he was engaged once, Tiago said, but she broke it off when she found out his real name. I'm sure his psychotic raging and saliva disorder had nothing to do with it, Jordan said. Oh, hi, Dad. Nick scooted closer to listen. No, Dad, I wasn't talking to you. Jordan gave a silent scream of frustration. Or about you. I called to ask a question. Who did the blue Mustang end up being registered to? Because I'm trying to identify them for you. What am I going to do? Go to his house and steal the car because I know who it belongs to? Thank you. What's the address? Okay, fine. Just curious. Sheesh. Wait, I'm not finished yet. Nix thinks that Homeland Security guy was kidnapped or killed or something. You wouldn't happen to have their headquarters phone number? Okay, thanks. Jordan hung up and handed the phone back to Tiago. What Homeland Security guy? Tiago asked. Jordan held up his hand. We've got to do this in the right order. He turned to Nix. He said he'd look for the number, and the car is registered to Roger Patterson. Do we know any kids with the last name Patterson? Nix asked. In the 2003-2004 to middle school yearbook, Jordan said, page 60-something, try 64. 
The look on Tiago's face told Nix he wasn't familiar with Jordan's abnormality. Tiago turned to 64 and his eyes went wide. Wow, how did Tiago get the whites of his eyes so white? Eric Patterson, Tiago said, in the 8th grade section. He's only a freshman now. How is that possible? Nix asked. I feel like we would have seen him at some point. Jordan nodded. If it's who I'm thinking of, I've definitely seen him a few times. But he's obviously better at ditching than we are. He's always skateboarding down my street. I'm sure he lives close by. My dad wouldn't give me the address, probably worried I'll plant evidence to back up our story. Nix reached for the yearbook. I thought I'd check the middle school ones. I don't know how I... Tiago pointed to a white box with the words, no picture available. Looks like he was absent on photo day, too. We should make sure we've got the right person before we give his name to the police, Nick said. What are you going to do? Tiago asked. Knock on all your neighbors' doors and ask if they have any children with facial hair. Nick cast a quick glance at Jordan. Something like that. And what's this about a homeland security guy? Tiago asked. Nick grimaced. Whether she was ready or not, her friends needed to know what was happening. And her friends weren't the only ones. Fawn needs to hear this, too, Nick said. Jordan and Tiago looked at Nix like she might be on drugs. Tiago, will you get her? Nix asked. You're the only one she might listen to. Just tell her we're talking about what happened this morning. Tiago walked over to where Fan sat talking on her phone. They had a brief exchange, then Tiago trudged back. She won't come. Says she doesn't care. Nix sighed. Teenage girls. But Fawn had to know whether she wanted to or not. Where are you going? Jordan asked. To try something else? Nix climbed on stage and turned on the mic. Everyone looked at her. Nix's throat seized up. Apparently she wasn't quite over her stage fright. She sat on the edge with the mic. That helped a little. And the nice thing about being terrified of her fellow students was that Mrs. Cherry didn't seem quite so formidable. A few people have been asking about what happened last night, and I didn't want to tell it a bunch of times. So if it's okay with everyone, I'll just say it really fast up here. No one shook their fists or booed her off stage. Most of you heard about McGuckin's ghost hunting tape. A couple of nights ago, a guy came to interview me. I guess because I was at Sarah's when that all... Nobody cares, came a male voice, one of the juniors in the plankton chorus. I do, so shut up, Jordan called. He motioned for Nix to continue. The guy said he was Agent Gary Lip from Homeland Security. I told him what I knew, which wasn't much. But then for some reason, my foster father knocked him out with a metal water bottle. Few lingering conversations died. The Cherries, my foster parents, said they found out he was bad. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Mrs. Cherry drove off with him in his car. She came back later and said she'd left him at the police station. I'm not sure how she got back, actually. A few kids came in from the lobby where they'd been doing homework. To get to the point, Sergeant Frost hasn't been able to find him at police stations or hospitals here or in Midland, and no one has a record of him ever being there. Nix had made up that last part, but if her instincts were correct, the demon inside of Mrs. Cherry had done something else with him. Last night, I woke up and Mrs. Cherry was sitting on the floor in the corner of my room, in the dark. A few people laughed. Others whispered to friends, but the noise died quickly. They all wanted to hear what happened next. Nix was feeling close to tears again and wanted nothing more than to be alone with a carton of ice cream, but she'd already come this far. I was like, are you okay? That's when she came at me with a knife. 
but only because the possession had failed and she wanted to prevent Nix from telling everyone Mrs. Cherry's little secret. Several kids were clearly not taking this seriously. As soon as Nick said knife, it was too much for them. Others, like Tiago, Jordan, and Fawn, remained stock still, waiting for the rest. I managed to fight her off. Pays to be a big girl sometimes. More people laughed than Nix expected. I wasn't too far from Tiago's house, so I ran up there. Tiago can confirm that, Nix pointed. Tiago looked around, eyebrows bunched. Oh, sorry. Your mom will tell you when you get home. Tiago's little brother wouldn't let me in, which was not cool since Mrs. Cherry had literally chased me from our house. She was legitimately crazy. I'm not making this up. Nix tried to look in Fawn's direction. She probably didn't believe the bit about running to the Padillas, but she should at least be happy. Nix hadn't told everyone Fawn was a foster child. You probably won't believe this next part, but I swear it happened. Since Tiago's little brother was the only one home, I climbed into their treehouse. I thought I was safe, but when I looked down the trap door, Mrs. Cherry literally grabbed my hair with both hands and jumped off the ladder. She almost broke my neck. I still managed to knock her off, and she smashed to the ground. As far as I know, she's still in the hospital. The paramedics were going to take me to the hospital, too, once Tiago's mom came home and called them, but I was fine, besides a stiff neck and hair trauma. I also totally ruined my shoes trying to get away from that crazy woman. Nix displayed her sneaker and flapped the bottom. It felt really strange to be displaying what she would have done anything to hide a few weeks ago. Yeah, she was poor, but she outran a demon woman. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'm sure I'll be in the crier tomorrow. Nix felt pretty good when she got back to Tiago and Jordan. Their faces of ecstatic surprise and the dozens of questions they asked made her feel like the coolest kid in the high school. After a while, things calmed down. People stopped looking toward Nix. Jordan rummaged in his book bag. Well, as long as Mrs. Finkbone's not here, I need to start on my algebra. He absconded to an isolated corner of the stage with his math book. Nix looked at the giant clock on the far wall. Mrs. Finkbone was getting later every day. Around the auditorium, kids talked, worked on homework, and even slept. A few restless piranhas had discovered the electric trap door lift and were ferrying students down below the stage and back up. Nix didn't see a single person going over lines. Even Fawn sat, still talking on what must have been her friend's cell phone. Did she really not believe Nix's account? Well, she was on her own then. It's not like Nix was going to back the cherries and try to explain things to Fawn again. I think Sarah's right, Tiago said. About what? She doesn't think the musical's going to happen. Apparently, we were supposed to start on the songs this week. But no one knows their lines, and they haven't even started the blocking yet. There's no way we'll be ready by December. Nix nodded, but couldn't think of any intelligent response. After a few moments, Tiago wandered over for his turn on the lift, leaving behind an air of gloom. It hadn't occurred to Nix that the musical might not happen at all. At first, the thought actually brought a smile to her lips. Fawn wouldn't be so smug after her leading role was yanked away from her, and it wouldn't matter anymore that Nix had only two lines. It would probably take the cast several weeks to recognize defeat and stop rehearsals, which would give Nick's time to find out who was after Sarah. Even if the school did end up putting on some sort of performance in December, it was bound to be disorganized and awful. And Fawn would be right at the center of the train wreck. But then, Nix thought of Jordan. At first he hadn't wanted to participate, but since he'd gotten a leading role, there was a quiet excitement in his voice when he spoke of the play. With so much stage time, Jordan would be a casualty of the train wreck as well. 
and if it didn't happen at all, he'd be even more disappointed. Then there was Sarah. Nix had learned yesterday how important this was to her. Had Sarah already given up hope? Nix couldn't argue that the prospects didn't look good for the Wizard of Oi. Nix scanned the darkened theater. Sarah sat with her back to the piano, listening to Beryl play a slow, pretty tune. Perhaps it was the mournful music coupled with Sarah's somber expression, but Nix felt another surge of sympathy well up inside her. How could Nix have been pleased to see this musical crumble when it meant so much to others she cared about? She had to do something. But what? If the musical's own creator was determined to let it fizzle, how could the lowly plankton queen hope to help? She watched the chaos surrounding her and realized what they needed was a leader. Just like their kitchen pod needed Tiago, the musical needed someone who cared enough to take charge. Vaughn had attempted to assume that role, but she was so irritatingly condescending and bossy, no one could stand her. Nix, on the other hand, was a nobody. She was worse than a nobody. She was the weird foster girl with two lines. Would anyone listen to her? Probably not. But it's not like she was doing anything else. Yesterday, Nix wouldn't have had the courage to try to take the reins. But after her successful story time, people might actually listen to her. Maybe if she wasn't pushy or arrogant, she could motivate some of them to work on their own. Although, they'd have to really believe they could do it. After ten minutes of debating what to say, and ten more of working up her courage to actually say it, the auditorium doors swung open and Mrs. Finkbone entered. A collective sigh of relief went up as people gathered their things and moved to the stage. The director made her way down and turned on a mic with a staticky click. Guys, I'm really sorry. We're not going to be able to rehearse tonight, she said, sounding more impatient than sorry. Something important came up and I've got to be home. The cast and crew stared at her in disbelief. Wouldn't this information have been more useful before they spent an hour and a half doing nothing? Go over your lines at home and be ready for tomorrow. Mrs. Finkbone hopped down from the stage and jogged up the steps with impressive speed, considering her three-inch heels. This was it. Nix would have to act quickly. The murmurs of mutinous students had already worked its way to a dull roar. Nix climbed up on stage and approached the live microphone. Sweat seeped from her temples and armpits. Um, guys, maybe we should practice on our own. Although her voice echoed through the auditorium, the cast continued to stuff homework back into their bags. Hold up, Nick said, louder this time. Just because Mrs. Finkbone isn't here doesn't mean we can't practice. Nobody will use your stupid story, a boy called from the rear aisle. Blood warmed the sides of her neck. Nix hoped her embarrassment wouldn't be obvious in the dim light. At the foot of the stage, Jordan made a what-are-you-doing gesture. Nix motioned for him to join her on stage. Has anyone noticed Miss Finkbone doesn't seem to care about this production? Nix grew more confident as she went. She's always late, and when she does show up, she looks bored the whole time. A few students slowed in their stuff gathering. Jordan climbed onto the stage, but kept his distance. Sarah Hainsworth says we're already way behind schedule, and if we don't start getting serious about this musical, it's not going to happen. Nix hoped the casual use of Sarah's name would catch some attention. She wasn't disappointed. Tiago stopped laughing with the other piranhas and looked to the stage. A hush fell over the theater. Nick's pulse beat wildly. She tried to ignore the trickle of sweat between her eyes. Maybe some of you don't care if this musical never happens, but I do. And we don't need Miss Finkbone to work on it. She hasn't been any help anyway. We can do this on our own and make it awesome. But we're going to have to stop waiting for someone to tell us what to do. Yeah, stop telling us what to do, a girl called. She laughed and then stopped when no one joined her. 
What, so you want to be the director now? Fawn asked, her low voice echoing in the quiet room. Her fan club chuckled. Like I said, we don't need a director. What we need is to get organized and start working. This is stupid, Fawn said. I'm not wasting my time here. She flipped her hair and strode toward the exit, taking her admirers with her. Nick scowled. You'd think unmasking Fawn's legal guardian as a psycho killer would inspire a little gratitude. Fawn was totally absorbed with herself. As soon as Fawn and her tribe disappeared into the foyer, Dornan approached the microphone. Now that both the directors are gone, we can finally get something done. Are we seriously going to stay here on our own? One of the other plankton asked. No one has to stay, Jordan said. But I can guarantee on opening night, the audience will be able to pick out the ones who did think it worth their time. Nix beamed at Jordan. She wanted to bear hug him right there, but knew that would only undermine his credibility. When Mr. Coons came to lock up the building at seven o'clock, the cast begged for ten more times. He reluctantly sat on the back row and let the students finish their final rotation. Mr. Coons was soon joined by parents and friends, waiting to take the actors home. When Sergeant Frost came in wearing a scowl, Nix knew it was time to call it good. Guys, you were awesome tonight, she said into the microphone. Tomorrow, no matter who's here to make us, we're going to work just as hard. I think we accomplished more today than we have in the last two weeks. As the auditorium filled with laughs and murmurs of agreement, Nix knew her little speech wasn't necessary. The cast had felt the difference. They had put everything into the rehearsal, and the return had surprised them all. Jordan followed Nix toward his dad. I think most everybody stayed, Jordan said. Fawn and some of the crew left, but that was it. Sarah stayed, Nick said. That's what's important. It looked like she's even got some new plans for the set. Jordan put an arm around Nick's shoulders. Your station's idea worked well. Kept them in small groups so they could focus. Except I think you need someone besides Beryl in charge of the music station. She made everybody slap themselves in the face to get warmed up. Nix laughed. Your cheeks are still red. The talking submarine and I helped each other warm up. It got a little out of hand. Nix's laugh lodged in her throat when she saw Sergeant Frost's expression. Why are you late? He asked Jordan. I asked you to be waiting for me on the curb. I'm supposed to be working right now. It's Nix's fault, Jordan said with an impish grin. She turned the cast into super thespians, and they didn't want to quit. If it happens again, you're going to get another week in your room. Where's your director? He needs to know this is not okay. It's a she, Jordan said, and she didn't come today. Then who's supervising? It's certainly not okay for you to be here alone. Jordan and Nix looked at each other. Was his dad really going to ruin everything? I'll talk to Mr. Coons, Nick said. He lives in an RV close to the school, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind watching us when the director has to leave. Fine, but if I come check on you and there are no adults, I'm going to have a talk with the vice principal. On their way to the car, Jordan gave Nix an apologetic look. Nix returned an it's okay smile. It was okay if his dad got a little meddlesome once in a while. Compared to Mrs. Wack, he was still Santa Claus. Compared to Mrs. Cherry, he was the Pope. Nix, the good jellyfish of the North, jogged up and handed Nix a pair of sneakers. These have been in my trunk for like a year. I've been meaning to take them to Goodwill. If they don't fit, just pass them along. She smiled and jogged back to her car. Thanks. What was her name again? She whispered to Jordan. Gail. Thanks again, Gail. Wow, these shoes were practically new. They were a size and a half too big, but nothing a couple extra socks couldn't fix. When Sergeant Frost slid into the front seat, he tapped the steering wheel in an indecisive manner. I'm sorry I got angry. I was just worried about you both of you. 
after what happened this morning with, What is going on with you, Nix? I've gotten more calls about you this month than all the other Woods Crossians combined. That's rude, Jordan said. I know it's not her fault. I really don't know what we're going to do about Agent Lip. I called Homeland Security. Had to flash my badge around, so to speak, but finally got someone that knew. He's a legitimate employee, and he hasn't checked in for two days. Did they still question Mrs. Cherry? Jordan asked. She's still in a medically induced coma. I can't fathom what was going through her mind. I've met her before, and she seemed totally sane. Nix really wanted to tell them, at least Jordan, about the demon, but she didn't want to disappoint Mrs. Padilla. Gary's probably dead, isn't he? Nix said. Sergeant Frost didn't say anything. Nix felt horrible. If only she'd known beforehand. She might have done something to protect him. Poor Gary. He was such a nice guy. Sergeant Frost cleared his throat. You know where you're staying tonight, Nix? I was thinking my trailer. If my mom doesn't open the door, I can probably climb through the window. Legally, I don't think I'm allowed to let you go back to your original environment. Nix flopped back against the hard plastic of the seat. You know she's never hit me, right? I'm not going to say the vacation hasn't been amazing, but I'll really be fine at home. Jordan bumped her knee with his and pointed to himself. What was he trying to say? Jordan rolled his eyes. Dad, she needs to stay at our place. It's the only solution. If she goes back to her trailer, anyone would know how to find her. And obviously she's pretty popular among the psychos lately. Sergeant Frost sighed. The foster system around here leaves a lot to be desired. It's settled then, Jordan said. I'll need to notify DHS and Mr. Cherry. No, Jordan said. Wait, tell Mr. Cherry she's staying with a friend. I don't want his wife creeping into our house tonight. He winked at Nix. Was Jordan planning to sneak into her room? Jordan leaned over and whispered, Tonight we're going to find Eric Patterson and Agent Lip. And if you have time, check on Mrs. Cherry to make sure she's not trying to kill anyone. Is that all? Nix whispered back. You don't want me to find Atlantis or El Dorado? Should I capture the FBI's most wanted? Wouldn't hurt to keep an eye out for them. Mm-hmm.